0: Man, what a great song. And it fits so much today what I feel the Lord's put on my heart to share. In fact, this whole morning has just been so orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, and I love when he does that. It's such a comfort. Um it really is a confirmation even what James shared and all the scriptures around righteousness and justice. And of course, all that Anna and Jen and Rocky and and Nina, and then Wade and his family have shared. I'm just so grateful for our community. And we will look forward to all those that can come tonight for our in-person outdoor communion service. This should be fun. Um, We're gonna give this a try and see how the Lord helps us with it all. I believe it'll be great for us to be together. You know, this past Monday, as I mentioned to you last Sunday when I was speaking, I joined with about 100 pastors from around our city. And with another couple hundred followers of Jesus, we stood in front of the state capitol here in Georgia to pray for our city and our nation. And we prayed for our neighbors who've been severely affected by racism, injustice, mistreatment and mistrust. And we also prayed for families who've been severely impacted by the loss of a loved one, like the families of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and many, many others And we also prayed for our leaders, the mayor of Atlanta, the municipal governance over many of our smaller towns around, our governor, and others in authority, including those who put their lives on the line to protect and serve our communities as police officers and national guardsmen and women, the vast majority of which are noble, wonderful people who are doing a hard job, and we need to be praying for them too. We heard on those moments there uh, on the steps of the Capitol, we heard about building bridges of trust and listening between Black and Latino, Asian and white communities. And it made me think of our county where our church building is located, Gwinnett County, which is the most diverse county in the state and maybe one of the most diverse in the United States. And the demographics that make up our county will be what America looks like in the next 20 years. And we stood together there in front of the Capitol and we asked for mercy over judgment. And we called out demonic spirits of racism and division and violence and hatred and anarchy. And for those who are able to, I'd like to encourage you to join This group of leaders and many other believers in the One Race March on Atlanta on Saturday, June 19th. You can find details about it on our Facebook page. And that march will be an attempt to gather believers from all over the region to call the church to stand united against racial violence, to lament and to call for change. But marching on Atlanta is only a token. It has to come out of something more. It has to come out of a life of reconciliation, first with Christ and then with each other. If we march, we better have first walked into our neighborhoods. We better have listened to people and done a better job of loving and building relationships, especially with those who are different from us. It's also about parents taking the time to have conversations with their children even when they're young, teaching them about these issues and about what God's word says about them and praying with them, helping them understand that we are a nation, we are a people that, are, that is in need of God. And we should take our kids with us wherever we go as we're loving our neighbors as ourselves. It's about recognizing that the most important thing that we can do as followers of Christ is to pray. And that when we pray, we are submitting ourselves to King Jesus, aligning ourselves with his rule and bringing his kingdom to bear in every matter, in every circumstance. Because we pray this way, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe the church has the, yes, the vital role in these days. We must, as God's people, have something to say about what is impacting and affecting our country and around the whole world. We must be committed to pray for change, for justice, for unity, for love. And I believe this is true for us because the Bible, throughout the Bible, human injustice is continually rebuked and judged by God. James read numerous passages of scripture that help us see what God really thinks about injustice and unrighteousness. He's consistent as our God in his repudiation of injustice in every form, in every place. Like when he spoke through his prophet Jeremiah, and James read a portion of this in Jeremiah 22, where he said, verse 3, Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place." And then down in verse 13, he says, "'Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness "'and his upper rooms by injustice, "'who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing "'and does not give him his wages.'" God not only resists such people that that's describing, the Bible teaches us that God's throne is established on righteousness and judgment, justice. And that Jesus himself is going to return and is going to release justice to all the nations. It says it in Isaiah chapter 42 when it says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So I believe, as believers in Christ, as his followers, we must be involved in these matters. We can't sit on the sideline when it comes to something of such critical nature to our God. We must pray and listen and work for righteousness and justice, and we must be diligent in our unity. That's not something that just happens on its own. It's not automatic. Fighting for a spirit of unity is required within the body of Christ. It takes hard work, the hard work of listening and not just always talking, of hearing somebody else's story and letting that story impact you because we weep with those who weep. We need to learn from our own past and we need to change how we do things, loving each other as Jesus commanded and not allowing division when Christ is calling for unity. I want you to listen to what Paul told the, the church in Corinth. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10 says, "I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment." And then a couple of chapters later in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Unity seems to be Paul's major concern for the Corinthian church. And that's kind of surprising when you realize all the problems they had. On so many levels, this Corinthian church was a mess. People were getting drunk when they approached the Lord's table. Church members were suing each other. Couples were divorcing. People were trying to outdo each other, outperform each other with spiritual gifts as if they were superior to another. And yet with all of this garbage kind of living going on in the Corinthian church, the thing that concerns Paul the most, the very first thing he brings up in his letter is the division among them walls of separation i have a feeling that all of those other problems i mentioned they came out of this root problem of division paul said i hear there are divisions among you wow i wonder what paul would say to the american church to the church of today if they were divided in corinth can you imagine what paul's letter to us would say Corinthians, they were dividing themselves by their allegiances to certain leaders. Some were following Paul, others Apollos. Some were following Peter. Some even said, no, we only follow Jesus. They were dividing on every area they could, probably around theological reasons, maybe just personality reasons. Whatever it was, they were divided and it didn't please God. It was causing jealousy and strife. It was making them behave, what Paul said, in only a human way. (laughs) Because we're not designed to only live in a human way. We are children of the king, born of his spirit, and we're to live our lives in his spirit, in his spirit where there is freedom. But it, it wasn't just doctrinal division or allegiance to certain leaders that concerned Paul. He called out every sort of division whenever he was with believers. And this is an example, like in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. He said, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, let me, let me just stop right there. We don't really get that as much as they would have got it. We think there's division between the black and white communities. Let me tell you something. The division between Jew and Gentile was more severe than we could ever imagine. And so for Paul to say, there is no more Jew or Greek, that's not the issue any longer. And then he said, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you were all one in Christ Jesus. Unity matters to God. Maintaining and fighting for unity within his people, it matters to God. There is is so much dividing us these days. The color of our skin, our cultural preferences, our political persuasion, our gender. What we prefer on so many different levels is pitting us against each other. And the church of Jesus Christ is called to look differently than the world. We're called to be different to be light in the midst of darkness, salt that can preserve our culture. But unfortunately, many times the church that was designed to be distinct just looks human. Just looks human. Without question, we're in one of the most tumultuous times in our generation. Just when we thought we were getting a handle on what life would look like in the midst of a pandemic, our nation erupts because there have been deep seated issues that have been undealt with and unanswered. And those things have grown into a harvest that is now reaping time. Yeah, we can joke about this year. You know, I've seen all the, I've said them myself 2020. It's let us all down. We ought to turn it back in and get a new year. But there's a shaking going on. It has nothing to do with 2020. It has everything to do with a reaping of what we've sown. It's a reckoning. It's a purifying. It's an opportunity for the church and for people at large to repent and return to the Lord. Scripture tells us in Galatians 6-7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. But before I point my finger at all of those out there who I think are wrong or evil, who are getting what's coming to them, I had better examine my own heart, my own prejudices, My heart and hands have not always been clean. They may not be clean right now. Like Henry Nouwen says, The cruel reality of the world is the cruel reality of the human heart, our own included. I believe the church, especially the American church, is experiencing a divine reckoning the kind of thing that the Apostle Peter spoke of when he said, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And this reckoning is not simply because we've sinned. It's because in so many instances, we've self-righteously stood as though we have not sinned, where we've used God's word to our advantage instead of allowing it to work in us and use us for his glory. And in this process, we've distorted the name of the Lord to justify ourselves and our behaviors as if we were living according to God's word and we were far from it. We felt we were on the right side of issues. And if everyone else would just see it the way we do, feel about it the way we do, join our political party, then we could all go back to a happier time. But you don't have to be a prophet to know that such efforts to divide and point fingers and build walls and pit people against each other is not a return to greatness. It's the exploitation and abuse of others as we sit comfortably in our houses of unrighteousness and in our upper rooms of injustice and ask the question, am I my brother's keeper? I believe that this is the time for us to examine ourselves as individual followers of Jesus, as communities of believers, as the church at large, There is a reckoning going on and I believe that the church that will come out on the other end will be more pure and more spotless and blameless according to what he has done, not by our own righteousness. I believe we have to do business with God and we have to do business with one another and if we don't and we sit on the sideline, God will not take kindly to that. I believe there are at least Three things we have to do as the the universal church of Jesus Christ. And it is imperative that we lead in all of these areas. First, we must humble ourselves. Easier said than done. If we face this time without examining our own hearts, if we choose to point the finger and call out someone else's sin, When we have sin in our own lives, when we look at the speck in a brother's eyes and we have a plank in our own, God will not take kindly to that. He will resist the proud. That's what the scripture says. And we don't don't understand what that kind of resistance would do, but when we feel it, it won't be good. We need to change. We need to find God's grace In the midst of our humility, we need to find God not resisting us as he does the proud, but giving grace to us. That's what we need. Secondly, we must repent of our own sins. Sins of judging others, of hatred, of indifference, of preferring others over ourselves, of showing favoritism like James talks about in James 2 of preferring what we like and feel comfortable around simply because of that reason, it's ungodly. And we need to repent of that in our lives. And I challenge each of us that are listening to this, those in our church, I don't think we're blatant with all these things, but could we examine our own hearts to see where God might show us? take action to right our wrongs. We have to go to those that may have been hurt, even if we didn't do it personally. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. If they're offended, we have a responsibility to go and build a bridge towards reconciliation. I know this is heavy, but I believe it's what God is saying to the church universal. And I believe the hour is now for us to not only consider, but to act and pray. And I agree with something that my friend John Stenko shared online this week. He said, I'm not only wearing a face mask, but also sackcloth and ashes. This is a time to humble myself before the Lord and wait on Him. And maybe this prayer from the Book of Common Prayer best sums up what we desperately need in this hour. Grant, O God, that your holy and life-giving Spirit may so move every human heart and especially the hearts of the people of this land, that barriers which divide us may crumble, suspicions disappear, and hatreds cease, that our divisions being healed, we may live in justice and peace through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I'll close with this. Hosea declared this, and I believe that it is, a, it is an appeal for the church universal, the people of God. Hosea 6 verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down that he may bind us up, and after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. I'm gonna ask my wife to come and join us. We've been doing this and allowing her to share what's on our people.
1: When you were first speaking this morning and you talked about the fact that when we submit to God's perspective in something, it allows his kingdom to come to bear Mm -hmm. in us and in that thing and in that circumstance. And there's a passage in Isaiah in chapter 32 um, that says, a king will reign in righteousness and rule with justice. And our king is already reigning. The question is, is he reigning in me in this moment? Is he reigning in my life in the way I see other people, think about other people, respond to other people? Am I willing to decrease, like Wade said, so that his kingdom in me will increase? But here's how it describes the kingdom The king will reign in righteousness and he will rule with justice. And when that happens, each person who is submitting to that kingship will become a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm. They will be like streams of water in the desert, the shadow of a rock in a thirsty land. We are in a thirsty land. Yes, we are. But his kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness and justice. And if that isn't what's coming out of my heart, if that isn't what's coming out of my mouth, if that isn't what is being displayed in my life, then he is not my king. Hmm. We don't get the righteousness, peace, and joy without the kingdom. That's right. And we don't get the kingdom without the king. Yes. So my prayer for us this morning is going to be that we let him bring his kingdom to bear in each of us.
0: Yes. Let's pray.
1: Father, thank you for this compelling and constraining word. It is convicting, but your conviction is so full of hope that we can be changed, that we can be different. And if we let you make us different, then we can make a difference in the world. We can be the light and the salt that Chris Mm. talks to us about. So, Father, I ask this morning that we would not move away from this uncomfortable place and seek comfort again, Mm. but that we would let this work have its perfect work in us, Mm. that we would let you search us and try us, and see if there be any wicked way in us yes, God. and lead us into everlasting life. Yes. That we really would become well springs, fountains, gushing life, mm. and that anything that hinders your kingship mm. from being the the center and the outcome and the outflowing of our lives, that you would address it, yes, Father. Lord that as a father you would discipline us because you love us and so we accept your discipline this morning lord we do say we have been wrong and we want to yield to whatever you're putting your hand on in each of our hearts we want your kingdom to come in us that you your righteousness and justice might flow out of us mm. and that we would not relate to each other as merely humans right. but that your divine impartation would would be the thing that defines us yes. your love <clears throat> for others not our ability to love them but <clears throat> your love for them yes make it so lord
0: <clears throat> father we we ask not only for the correction and discipline that we need to have as your church, we also ask Lord for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need, O oh God, for there to be renewal, revival in our land, because we know that the promise that you have made to us is still for us. And so we pray God that even in these days of adjustment, mm-hmm. of repentance, of realignment, of listening, of doing the hard work of justice and righteousness and unity, that we would also see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our day. We've heard of your fame, O God. Renew it in our day, we pray. And I pray that our church community, our spiritual family, would not be sidelined. We would be in the middle of the things of God in our neighborhoods in the city of Lawrenceville, in the greater Atlanta area. We pray, God, that you would use us. We are your servants, oh God. Here we are. Send us, I pray. Thank you, God, for this day and for what you are saying to us and help us to walk in obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you very much. And we're excited that we get to see many of you tonight at 7 p.m. on the front grounds. church building and uh, we'll rejoice around the Lord's table and encourage one another in the things of God. The Lord bless you.